0: Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 607. Oh, 607. Feels like only 605. Well, wow. well, Matt, um, I think you missed 502
1: to about 605, but now you're back. Well, I got busy. But are you, are you back now?
0: I mean, I'm technically contractually obligated to be back.
1: You know, I, I I have been very pleased by the number of uh, Matt Myra appearances lately on intros and in actual episodes that are coming out.
0: Yeah, I mean the kids haven't seen it yet because we, for some reason, bank these like we're squirrels hoarding them. Well, it's just why the, is this the second squirrel reference we've made today? The
1: nuts. Ha- well, no, other people
0: don't know that they will eventually, these... but we're hoarding it, so you won't hear it for fucking three months. I'm sorry for using this terminology, but these nuts. <laughs> will be scattered yeah.
1: in uh at at uh, periodical
0: uh points. This feels like got to scatter those nuts. Got to this, this is this is the, These nuts? These nuts. This is the sixth podcast I've been to in a week. <laughs> it's great. It's amazing. You're not on this episode though. Up, oh, got to go. Nope. <laughs> no, this is how we get you in. Oh god, this is a great episode. Well, I'm not there yet. That is sponsored by a great sponsor. This episode is Michael Ironside, who...
1: Jester! Did a really great AMA, and just, you know, because he was promoting this movie called Extraterrestrial, which is in theaters now, and I was like, you know what? I've been a fan of that guy for years. He's been in some of my favorite movies. Of course we'll have him on. I had no idea how uh, incredible... I mean, this... I think it might be one of my favorite podcasts.
0: I've been on this show for like 300 episodes now. And this is the only time I almost cried. He I got is, Misty. It's amazing.
1: He was so contemplative and... Uh, and I thought it was rude. Soft-spoken and <laughs> articulate and and wonderful. to. I mean... Full of life. Yes! Just stoked to be alive. And before he left, he gave me his phone number. I'm going to call Michael Ironside. I'm going to fucking hang out with that guy. Wow,
0: I'm gonna
1: have more Ironside in That's my life. Pretty hot.
0: He's—I bet he'd be down to play catch. <laughs> you don't mean that as a euphemism? No, no. I okay. mean you show up with some baseball gloves. I think he would. Does he like show up in the wheelchair? No, and that then,
1: you're thinking of Ironsides, the show with Raymond Burr. I'm sorry, where he was you a lawyer the guy the or Blair, Blair Underwood. Ironside. I think Blair Underwood maybe was the new Ironsides. I'm not sure. Michael Ironside is Michael not. is his first name, and he's in yeah. a wheelchair and. I'm sure he's never heard any of that. I'm sure I probably even said that in the podcast, although I don't remember. Oh, Chris, that's embarrassing. (laughs) Glad I wasn't around for that. uh, (laughs) That's why you guys show up. But uh, anyway, this is Nerds Podcast number 607 with the incredibly cool Michael Ironside.
0: Now entering Nerdist.com.
2: We're just talking about an old story.
0: Canadian conversation enders.
2: Oh, well, but it, and I thought about it. It's really true. From where I come from,
1: it's like, oh fuck, now I got to fight. <laughs> it's like you know what I mean. It's not so sort of like, uh, uh you know. How do you end a conversation in Canada? Just because I'm going to be politely. politely. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Thank you. No matter what it is, you just say You're thank welcome. you and walk yes. away. Yes. It seemed. Uh, it you know when there were. Uh, Whenever there's, like, some kind of a riot or something up in Canada, I'm like, what What happened? It's not supposed to happen up there. Everyone's... Yeah. And it's usually in Vancouver, which isn't really Canadian. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, you know, no. A,
2: the, you know, the ocean sort of slid up and left a tide line on the, on the, on the Rockies there.
1: That's a little east-west rivalry. You're Toronto, right? I'm from Toronto, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, do the, does the, is the Vancouver part of this rivalry? They're like, hey, man, why are you picking on us? No, nah, I have no idea. <laughs> they usually are jogging. <laughs> and I thought you guys, I thought you were supposed to be fighting with Montreal. That's not. It's
2: Toronto-Vancouver? No, I'm just saying the Canadian is Canadian, and then there's Vancouver. Yeah, okay. It's it really totally is. separate. It really is. It, it's, a, it's its own little kind of... The mountains stopped something. Yeah, you know they got they they got stuck in the '60s. They kind of got stuck in the '60s a little bit. Yeah, it's now. Do you know it's the most populated city in North America now? Vancouver there's, is. Yeah, it's the more there's more people per square foot than even Manhattan. Oh my God, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, the watersheds up there are going bad, like in the middle of the summer now, because they're running out. of... You got to filter your water and everything halfway through the summer. they just completely overbuilt. So life. this is where the zombie apocalypse starts, is in Vancouver. Right? I would say probably in Burnaby, okay. just outside right. Burnaby. Yes. yes. Leave burn it out. to a Burnaby boy to bite somebody. <laughs>
1: <in>. <laughs> this is,
2: I'm getting shit for this one. Not at all. It, <laughs> is this being recorded? Yes. Oh my god. No,
1: but this is. Welcome home, Burnaby. <laughs> <laughs> you're, t- you're welcome to Canada Talk, all things Canada. With Michael Ironside, our guest today, which, uh, so you grew up in Toronto, grew which up in Toronto, is yeah. a, t- a city that I happen to love because it's, as someone who travels a lot, I appreciate a city that's planned very well. It's <laughs> easy to get around. That that makes me very Downtown, happy. yeah, that's true. That's true.
2: Anything outside of downtown? Well, when you have to go up either the Don Valley or something like that, I think it gets a little crazy. They haven't really planned ahead. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, it is it's, a, it's quickly taking over the whole It's like a, almost like a disease It's taking over the whole north, north shore of Ontario now Or Lake Ontario
1: Any theories on why Canadians are funny? They are? They are hilarious Really? Yes mm. You're doing it now And you're I Canadian am. That that pregnant pause that's, that's genius comic timing At work Timing it, it's- <laughs> <laughs> it's,
2: no, I don't know. I'm absolutely. We were talking about Eugene Levy and some of the guys earlier. That um, I have no idea. I have no idea. Were you a comedy fan growing up? I somebody once said I was shy. I don't know if I'm shy. I, I was always frightened. So when I walked into a social or business situation, I always kind of hung back, trying to get the lay of the land. I think probably so I could control it or manipulate it. Sure. But um, no, I was never one for comedy. It's uh, I get nervous around it. Yeah. I was I did a film called uh, Jojo uh, Dancer with Richard Pryor. Yeah, and uh, which he based on his life. And if he'd ever been able to edit it, it would have been edited in chronological order. And I played that. He asked me to play a character that saved his life in in Illinois. But at one point, we were sitting driving, and there's a, where I'm driving with uh, Satin Doll, who's the woman that plays. Uh, I forget her name now. I'm, I'm totally unprepared to talk about this, but um, she, there was uh, Richard Pryor, this other actor, and Billy Eckstein, all in the back seat. Now, these are all legendary you know, performers that, and uh, grew up through Vaudeville, Billy Eckstein and stuff like that, Richard Pryor, one of the greatest wits of all time, and then sat in and, and I'm sitting in the front, and we've done three takes in the sound studio in this car, and we've just saved his life, his character. And then they said, well, let's... Improv one, mm-hmm. and I swear to God, my asshole got so tight I thought, "Oh <laughs> shit, I'm gonna—I've got to improv with some of you know." And they went on, and the improv just took off. They're all, and the one character had a st- 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 stutter, and they were just going on and on and on and on, and trying to one-up one up one everyone like that. And I was sitting there going, "What the fuck do I do?" And at one point, the guy was stuttering. He—he uh, he, he kept trying to get his anyway, and he went, and, I, and I said, "Eugene, shut the fuck up." <laughs> And he got quiet, and they all stopped. And I went, "What did I do wrong?" And I kept driving, and they all started laughing. <laughs> Richard, Richard ended up rolling up in the back of the seat. I could see his feet in the mirror, and I and the, it was totally on you. I've got to take it home. He oh, you it, do? Yeah, he put it on three quarter for me, and I've got it at home. But it's one of my my only attempts at humor, I think, on camera. What was Richard like? Richard was great. Richard was a friend. Um,
1: what was yeah. Richard like? Uh, painfully honest. Yeah. Well, I think you got a sense of that watching a stand-up, and which is one of the reasons why it was so groundbreaking at the time. If you,
2: Richie was one of those guys you never asked an opinion of unless you wanted an answer, an yeah. honest answer, because he would give it to you <laughs> usually, you know, undressed up.
1: You yeah. Know.
2: But uh, I and mean, I think we're we we're, uh,
1: we're less for him not being around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it. There, there. So much of comedy wouldn't be
2: what it is. Without that guy, because- he, went, so he, he was telling us one day on set. He was sitting there. He said, "He said, you know, when I was a, I said, where did you learn that as a weapon, as a as a as a piece of armor?" And he said, "Well, when I was a kid, he says the disrupted part of my family and stuff. He says I literally came home and he says my grandfather was going to whoop my ass, and he says, and I went to duck him, and I and I fell off the steps, and I fell in dog poo." He says, and I stood up, and they all started laughing, saying, look at that dumb son of a bitch. He's got dog shit all over him and all that. And uh, and he says, and I guess I've just been kind of like falling in dog poo all my life <laughs> to kind of like keep people at bay, you know. And I said to him, I said you got to fucking put that in the movie. (laughs) And and he does it. He actually talks about it. He says in the movie, he says, when I was a kid, I fell in dog shit. And uh, they all laughed. And I've been rolling around in dog shit for the rest of my life. But that's based on a true story. That's based on that was him talking about his granddad and trying to duck getting a whooping by having dog poo on him.
1: It's interesting to hear you say that. uh, It's interesting. And I appreciate that you say that you get shy in social situations. Right. Like I, I kind of get the same way when there's a group of people and I don't really know the lay of the land. I hang back too. But I think you're more of an imposing figure, so maybe people are like, he's angry or he's... Totally oh, taking yeah. it. I'm, I'm often thought, what's, what's wrong? I'm Nothing, I'm just thinking. My father,
2: uh, they got a hold of him. He's been passed on for about seven years. They got a hold of him. He lived in northern Ontario. After my mom died, my dad had a heart attack and when there were still three kids at home, he moved them all up to mid-northern ontario and raised the kids up there on a piece of land where he was building a house and a working-class family and stuff and they got a hold of him on the radio one day for an interview and uh and they said to my dad they said mr ironside michael ironside plays a lot of heavies and everything like that and how do you feel about it? he said it's my fault <laughs> And they said, I beg your pardon? He said, it's my fault. He has my face. He says, all my life, he says, I'll be thinking, and people think I'm angry. And he's, it's my fault. He never gets to play good guys. And I can't do this interview. i got to go. And he hung up. <laughs> that was my dad. And, and, uh, and I've used that ever since. It's the truth. I'll be thinking, and people say, uh, did I offend you? And I'll go, what? Oh.
1: And then you have to smile. And then and I got. It's I weird. S- you have to do extra work to let people know well, that this it's, is, everything's okay. Well, it's interesting when you, um,
2: the Japanese, when they put literature and theater together, they have a very basic rule, and they say take the obvious and reverse it. You know, and uh, if we we're on camera here, I'd show you. And most people reach forward and they go, "I love you." Yeah, and then they lean back and get very heartfaced and say, "I hate you." When in yeah. real and real life, it's. <laughs> I love you. You know, yeah. it's the, the, the interior emotions are the more difficult ones. So if you if you know that and you're willing to play with that, um, it makes an interesting character.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it, it's just uh, sort of playing with the gap between what is expected and also, but then what like that? That's what creates depth. Because if you see everything up on the surface, then there's nothing interesting or surprising about that, right? Mm. I think intuitively, audiences don't want something's real and not. We
2: organically know when something's real. That's why when we're sitting in a dark theater, looking through the window into somebody else's life and privacy, it could, the air conditioning can go out, and if it's a really good movie, you don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, the babies can cough. You can be crowded in the theater. You'll pay attention because it's it's a privilege to look in and look into somebody else's life. You know, we're not supposed to be there. We're peeping toms when we're watching a movie. Yet, if it's a bad performance up there. You're aware of everyone's cough, you're aware of the seat, you're aware of the sound of the popcorn and the guy's box two rows back yeah. because the people in that movie or the movie itself is making it about them and not about the audience. Right. Our job is to not remind the audience that they're sitting in the dark looking through a window. That's what we do when we make films. you know. And that's why I'm kind of against using computers and pl- different platforms to watch movies because it takes that hiding process away from the audience. You're not supposed to be there. You're looking into somebody else's life if it's done properly. Oh, that's really interesting. I never thought of it that way before. Uh, it's my, I'm old school bugaboo, so...
1: But do you know also... So when you're creating this, uh, this sort of voyeuristic uh, experience for the audience, do you agree or disagree that as an actor, you don't really have a lot of control? Like, you really just have control over what your piece of that is. So you don't have... You, can, you have a control by saying yes or no" to the project first off, right? And then you have control
2: over um, bringing what you bring to it as real as possible. Is having an emotional base no matter how far or how, how sarcastic or how ridiculous the character is if it's based in reality the character this film we hear about extraterrestrial is based on a guy I knew that was a vet who couldn't deal with society and he's a friend of mine he ended up in the Santa Monica Mountains and when the script was sent to me it was really well written uh, and then I printed it up and I went to the TV room and read it again then I took a meeting with the directors and the writers and I thought well these are real good guys they're, they're going to take this basically B-movie genre and turn it into something with dignity. And I said, this is what I want to do with this character. And they said, okay. And I tried to pay truth to the... Now, yes, my friend has now been on the streets and he's healthy and he's, you know, for seven years now. But there was a time when he didn't trust anybody. Intelligent, beyond his means, and like that. But he did not want to come down and walk the streets. He did not trust you and he didn't trust what he would do to you. Oh. And because uh, he was terrified. And so I took that basis, put it in Travis. Now, this is not a heavy film. This is a very light film. But there's an organically correctness about that character, Travis. Yeah. And that's the big trick. Can you, um, can you bring a, a, a ring of honesty and integrity to what you do as an actor? And what's the biggest challenge behind that? Uh, being willing to look stupid, attempting it, falling in dog shit falling in dog shit you know and really i mean um, i think i'm at an age now where i'm willing to take risks i'm actually trying stuff that i was taught 40 years ago and i'm just starting trying it out now in the last five years is this because you're more comfortable now i think one i'm older um i have less fear of being rejected and two i've had cancer twice and and gotten over that it looks like i'm in extra innings here so um i know that time is valuable and there are some things that i want to learn I want to learn about how long my arm is, you know, and how long my emotional arm is. So and I'm at that stage in my career where everyone thinks they know who I am, so I'm trying to reinvent myself so I can get some opportunities, you know. Yeah. Well, that's probably also just creatively fun, too. It is if you get the opportunity. But there's always somebody who wants to hit me who wants to give me a shovel and tell me to hit the old lady with the shovel right? because <laughs> they've made lots of money doing that over the years. Yeah. That's my old joke, you know, the lady may become Elizabeth Taylor, the shovel may become chrome-plated, but it's still, the movie industry is a very, very, very risky business. You know, entertainment is very risky, as you know. And people want as much to a guarantee as they can possibly get when they invest their money. Of course. And if somebody's made money off me hitting an old lady with a shovel, that's all they want me to do. Right. So for me to say, no, no, I can actually hit old ladies with a truck, you know, <laughs> or I can, you know, I can, I could drop the old bitch off the roof, you know, uh, and they say, no, 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 just the shovel. We'll get somebody else that does roofs, you know, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's very,
1: very conservative and very narrow, but then as an art form, that's where you, cause money's involved, of course, but then that's where you, uh, I feel like as a performer, Kind of have to go, then seek out the kind of things that you want and build the sort of. A, if you the story get the opportunity, you want, to... if you get the opportunity, or just make the thing that you want. Well, and then again, you got to get finance and you're back to money again. Look, I've
2: been very fortunate. I'd rather be working, yeah, than to be altruistic and sitting saying, "I'm not playing that." My job is to bring as much reality, if I get a choice, to the things I choose, and I've been fortunate enough to to work fairly consistently for over forty years. Yeah, but there are things, like I said, now that I want. I want to see how long my arm is. I really do
1: want to try some stuff. You know, what did you learn from surviving cancer? If that's not a dumb question. Oh wow, uh, boy! I've never been asked that. It was, I read about um, it. it was thyroid cancer and prostate. I had cancer? thyroid
2: cancer and prostate. Yeah, and uh, and the prostate. It's kind of funny. I got my prostate. He said, "Yeah, you got prostate cancer." And I said, "Well." Is it fast-moving, slow? And they said, well, you're not sure. We have three lab tests. Two of them came back slow, one's indecisive, in, in you know. And I said, well, what do I got to do about it? And they said, well, it could be six weeks, it could be six years, 16 years. We don't know. I said, well, I got to go do a movie. And they said, okay, but check in with us, and we'll do blood every 30 days and watch the numbers and see what happens. Because they go through your colon wall and punch holes through your prostate and stuff. And uh, so I got on a plane. I went to um, Bulgaria to do a film. And I'm, I, I wasn't there more than a day, and I checked my messages in the the Harvey called me and said, I was right. It's fast moving. Get your oh, ass in here. Shit. And I called him and I said, I can't get in there. I'm in Bulgaria. And he said, I thought you were going to Burbank. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the literal and he, opposite. He, <laughs> and he said to me, he said, well, when are you coming home? I said, November 1st. And he, there was, I'd never seen Harvey. He'd been my doctor for years. So I'd never seen him that quiet. And he went, don't eat on the plane. And I said, really? He says, yeah, it's very fast moving. Um, I, so I'll be over here five weeks. I'll see you on the first. And he said, literally, we got to move on this quick. The film went over 14 days. Mm-hmm. I got back the 15th. I didn't have plan, They operated on the 15th. And when I came out of the surgery, he says, it had jumped. And we didn't know if we got it all. So I I said, what do you think, 60 up? And he said, no, 60, 65 down. And I went, OK. And it was interesting. I've... Uh, I've been sober 31 years. Nice. Right now, at that time, I was about 27, 28, uh, and I'm in extra innings. I had a friend that called me extra innings. He go, "Hey, extra innings, how you doing?" Because he knew who I was when I was out there. Right. And uh, and I got used to the idea of dying. I really got used to the idea. I used as you can get it. And uh, am I answering your question? Because you you're getting the there. No, okay. no, you're getting there. It's good. He. Um, the doctor came back and he said, yeah, we got it all and everything like that, uh, but we got to do more tests because oh, we're not sure. And I said, really? So I went back in six weeks later. Those tests weren't conclusive. They did more. And I really thought I was going to die. And I said, look, both properties are paid for. we got a place in Montreal. I've got a house here. If I die, i got insurance policies up the ass. You know, Everything's going to be paid for. Uh, and I've had a pretty good life, and I am in extra innings. You know, and everyone's going to be looked after fine so they did a test, came back and we were on a friday night with my wife over and we we're going to the movies and he called and i pulled the car over and he said i want to tell you you're a cancer survivor one more time and i went really and he says yeah i got two of the tests back i didn't want to ruin another weekend for you i said thanks i'll talk to you on monday and i told my wife and we hugged and my wife says as we unembraced i looked in the rearview mirror of the car and said do you think i should get my eyes done how am i going to lose goddamn weight and she laughed and said, he's back. He's okay. The problem was, is I got depressed. I got depressed for about a month. And I went to see him. I went to see Harvey and I, my my GP, and I told him, I said, I'm totally depressed. I know I shouldn't be. And he said, what do you mean shouldn't be? And he turned me over to this shrink I knew. <laughs> that was two floors up at the Cedar Santa group. I went in and saw her, and she said, it's totally understandable. I said, what's so friggin' understandable? She said, we're all afraid of death. We're all afraid of dying. You, for a very short period of time, thought you had some kind of control over that, that you knew when you were going out oh and you had control over it. And I knew she was telling me basically the truth because I felt myself sit up while she was talking to me. I went, oh, wow, that makes sense that you thought you knew when the end was coming so you could get your house in order and everything like that. Now you don't know anymore. She says, now you're you're depressed because you're back into the deep end with the rest of us. We don't know. And And it made total sense to me. That's what's changed. I know that time is very limited. I've dealt with that little black hole that we've got to squeeze ourselves through and don't really comprehend called death, and I think I want to get some stuff done before. It's not a bucket list. There are certain things that I've been reticent to try that I'm not so reticent anymore. Is that too weird? At not all? at all. Okay.
1: Well, what, what, do you, what is it that you want to try?
2: Uh, really loving... Loving people, other people? People, places and things. I've got some stories that I've been sitting on because of my fear of the actual material. um, My fear of blowing the material. Uh, There's one about India that was told me on a plane years and years and years ago that I wrote down. And I, I may do it next year. I made at the end of next year, there's some financing out of India that wants to do it. Uh, My big fear was that if I go to India, I'll have a life-changing event, and I'm afraid of life-changing events, (laughs) (laughs) That is (laughs) because it's a challenge of your control issues, and so now that I've gotten through this whole harmatia of dying of cancer, I'm more easily
1: embracing that idea. I've never heard that before, the idea of being afraid of a life-changing event, but I do understand. I have a friend who who goes to (laughs) Calcutta every year, works at a clinic
2: for a month, and then goes off and does uh, tai chi in the Shaolin Temple, in the Shaolin Valley. And she says every year she calls up and says, "Michael, you should come." And I said, "Maybe next year." And she says, "Yes," because she knows I've said it, it's a life changing event, and it terrifies me. Yeah, and uh, I may go this year. I don't know. Would would you things have, like that? Did you know what I mean? There's, I do know. There's things that I'm very aware of. The limited time I have. Mm-hmm. I'm 64 years old. Uh my youngest is our youngest is fifteen and when my wife had breast cancer twice and then I got cancer a couple of times, she went through all this. And uh I went into her bedroom when she was about ten or eleven one night and after I'd just gotten over the 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 cancer and stuff like that, and she turned ashen gray. And I said, Are you all right? And she goes, I don't want you to die. And uh if I get emotional here. And I said I don't have any control over that, but I tell you what, I will stay alive as long as I can. And I saw the color come back in her face and she said, you promise? And I said, yes. And then she said, can I, can I have pie with my lunch tomorrow? And then, so I knew everything was cool. She was asking incidental material, but that really hit me was, I went, wow, I'm at that stage in my life where I got to stay as alive as long as I it's can. not just about you, right? And it's not only that, but I have a limited amount of time. I'm aware of the length of my arm. Um, chronologically now. You know, I've seen 74-year-old people. Mm -hmm. They don't eat really well. (laughs) They don't walk really well. And they drive like shit, (laughs) you know? So nobody's going to give that person the opportunity to run a film crew. Right. You know, or to stand in. I just saw Emmett Walsh in something, and it was great to see him. But I thought, my God, someone had the balls to hire him. You can literally stand (laughs) up. And Emmett's an old friend of mine. And you know what I mean? So I've got a very short window of time here. To be able to do possibly what I want to do, or, or do dignify some of the stuff I want.
1: Well, maybe to not do. as short as you want, but because I will say this: my um, what's today? Thursday, Sunday is the one year anniversary of my dad dying, and it, it and he basically just he was lucky because he just dropped dead, like he just. His chest <laughs> Easy ba- for you to say. Well, I mean, he didn't suffer through anything. <laughs> okay. He was okay. totally. As far as anyone knew, ostensibly he was healthy up until the second that he died, right? So he didn't have to... He never became an old guy. What was his full name? Uh, Billy Hardwick. Oh, wow. Yeah. William Hardwick or Billy Hardwick? William. Okay. Yeah. Uh, does that ring a bell? Or just I mean, So he... Um, the, the, Indian,
2: the natives say that you live as long as your name is said. That you, you die two deaths. One is the physical death, and the second one is the last time your name's said.
1: Oh, that's chilling! I never thought about that. Ah, It's really weird. Write it down somewhere. I will. I will definitely. William Hardman. Well, now we've recorded it. Well, it's every. I mean, I like. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's it's, uh, okay. Yeah, but 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 the fact is, he was 72 years old, and uh, but you know, he looked and acted like he was in his mid 50s. Like you never would have, you know, still ran a business. But he just, I just think there's things that. I just think that there are things that some people don't do all the time and obviously there are circumstances that prevent it, but I do think if you eat relatively well and exercise it does extend your chances for mobility the older you get and not, you know, so you don't just sort of I think the people that sort of shrink like this, it's just it's they're just inert for a lot of it. So I think it's important to live. Yeah. So, I mean God I'm just
2: esoteric metaphysical bloody conversation it's just um i have now got i feel like i have a responsibility to be as present as possible in everything i'm doing i'm very aware when i shut down now i'm very well when i just sort of sit down to watch a hockey game or i take that pause you know because my head's very active a lot I'm very aware of my daughter, my fifty year old, I'm very well, my oldest daughter. I'm very aware of the taste of food. I'm very aware of the feel of my wife's you know, hand in mine. I'm very aware of when she rolls over in the middle of the night and if I'm awake, I'm aware of her breathing. It's not it's not to the point of being obsessive compulsive, it's almost like in celebration. There's a celebration about everything now that I'm very aware of. And I wanna and I'm trying to find a way to articulate that in a visual sense you know it's like you know i've been offered a lot of things to direct over the years and i just can't find anything that i find worth the use of that time you know at best like i said let's say 10 years you know if i'm lucky if i'm fortunate if i if i if i get that that gift and uh to take eight to twelve months of that and piss it up against the wall doing something that is not going to articulate what should be used that time should be used for. Sure.
1: So it's kind of, maybe I'm painting myself into a corner, but I hope not. Well, I hope, I mean, look, not, you know, not that you asked for any advice from me, but I do think that sometimes you, you know, and not knowing you very well. So please forgive me. It does sound like you're trying to control that a lot. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you just start down a path, I I don't know if control, I'm trying to be more responsible. Sure. But I think, but I think, you know, you obviously have a very strong idea of what you want to say. I don't think you would let it get to a point where you, but but at
2: the same time, I'm aware of the accidents. For example, uh, I was allowed to read, I was allowed to read, um, my, my dad had a grade three education. Uh, there was books everywhere. My mom and dad read. Um, they had. Made, we lived in a little twelve and a half foot house in the East End of Toronto, and we were allowed to have our light on at night as long as we were reading. Oh wow! My dad said it's fine, you know. And I would read. I was allowed to read anything that I found as long as if it was on the bedside tables, they hadn't read it yet. If it's on the floor, I can read it. So I read everything from Lady Chatterley's Lovers to uh, Terry and the Pirates to velishkovsky to anything my dad and mumber were reading. We were allowed to read, and uh, and I told my daughter that and I told Finley that and I said uh, my youngest and I said you can read anything you want you can have your light on as long as you're reading Um, she said okay and uh, one night I got up and uh, a couple of months no it was last year and uh, I went in and she had fallen asleep reading The Last Unicorn and uh, I took the book and I turned off the light and I was asleep I'm going to get emotional again (laughs) as I was leaving I realized that every time I ever woke up my light was always off and I was having one of those moments my father had had, that he must have come in every night and turned my light oh, off wow. when I was reading. And I never knew it. And here I am, 60-some-odd years old, and I get that revelation. I get that recycling of my life. And that's what I'm interested in. thats I'm trying to find those corollary points that are in all of our lives, because they're the things that touch people.
1: And it's unfortunate that it, it – I mean, do you – is this something that you wish you had figured out sooner, or do you feel No, like- I think I'm, I'm – I'm, I'm not that I wish I I'm glad that I had the opportunity to feel it now.
2: Mm-hmm. I think it's part of the rites of passage maybe through some of the stuff I've been through recently. I think we've got to slow down and take those moments. We've got to understand some of that stuff. You have those moments in your life. You guys have – everyone here does. It's – Uh, in a world where everything's being shut down and trimmed down and squeezed into a tweet, Mm -hmm. I think we have to sit down and take a little more time and and maybe take a breath and give the story a little more time.
1: Yeah. Well, I always, I mean, I've been saying for a long time that I think the reason why it feels like time moves so fast is because we're distracted in every minute by something as opposed to, you know, I I wonder, I wonder sometimes what it'd be like just to go sit in a cabin for a month, with with literally just with nothing completely unplugged and I'm sad to say I don't know my brain is like you could never do that I mean obviously I could I don't think I have any interest in that I do
2: want to I think I do want to be able to look at things when I see it like I've been sitting there thinking how old's that wall when was the when was the mortaring done on that wall you know that's those bricks are like 1920s because they're they're old kill style bricks you know there's the the marble work in the bathroom the little things you know what I mean it's like I want to be paid Tribute to the heritage of storytelling. I want to tell to the heritage that has got us to this point. Yeah, not constantly re- push it behind us. Right, it's too slow. It's too slow. We've got to get this in and sell that box of salt at the same time.
1: Oh, you I know. know. My dad, my dad used to say all the time. He said, "Hey, buddy, you got to stop and smell the roses every day." And every is that day a wookie, wookie purse? It is a wookie book. <laughs> it's a wookie book. That's. <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: amazing this
1: is our podcast guest book which hopefully you'll sign at the end this is where all like all the guests in the last handful of months have signed it uh, did you see
2: that, that tilt that uh, Harrison did on uh, was it uh, Jimmy Fallon or Late Night or something like that I just happened to see it I to, where he some wookiee guy dressed in a wookiee stands up in the audience <laughs> and he, Harrison Ford had an argument with him <laughs> and then walked off. And I thought was one of the most brilliant bits of TV. Did
1: you say that was a Fallon or Kimmel or something? Cause he, he likes to, it might've been Kimmel. It I Cause I feel like, I feel like he likes to, he likes to play up the cranky guy on Kimmel in particular, but that's what he did. And he, he literally like you, piece of shit. Yeah, that liar. was Kimmel. That was Kimmel. And, I did and, see that. And,
2: and I just sat there and i that is, talk about double and triple entendre. <laughs> it was just wonderful.
1: It took that many years after a movie like that and his career, like the culmination of so many things lining up to make that moment work. Pretty good stuff. So you... Uh, is this going the way you wanted it to go? I don't know. It's or this is just a conversation. It goes wherever we want. What kind of show is this that you do? I you're, don't. I you're don't in think. it. This is oh, it. It's right. just think of it this way. It's uh It's about an hour conversation with someone that you're interested in learning more about. It's like having a coffee chat. So it goes wherever. But I think it's better. I mean, listen. We could. I've seen a million things you've done. I could ask you a million questions about. Scanners or Total Recall or Sequest, anything, but to hear... Sequest. But this is... (laughs) I don't talk to fish. Well, we brought the dolphin. Uh, No, I don't talk to fish. (laughs) But uh, but I think, you know, what's interesting is talking to you like this and really getting a sense of who you are, I think, is what is what's fun for me, okay, you know, cool. but, and, and I might veer, you know, like we could veer into, we could veer into some act, acty stuff. I know also, Whatever that, you want. I know also that, um, you started writing when you were a teenager. Mm-hmm. And so do you still, is that, is that something that you ever actively pursued or were you, was that part of the, I was, I did a lot of, um,
2: phew. when I first got to Los Angeles, I did about 19, I did, I think around 19 features in Canada before, I was absolutely broke from staying in Canada and came down here. And when I got here, um, I did V first, that mm-hmm. TV series. Yeah, I, I remember think, And I think Richard's film was the first film I did. It might have been the Richard um, Pryor's film. Was it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. But uh, I did a lot of rewriting. I'd worked with a lot of directors and Canadian producers that had moved down. There. So they would send me first-time writer-directors and say, look at." The script boards out the forty eight days. They got to cut it down to thirty. Can you walk them through it? Because I'd done a lot of that in Canada, so I I made my way that way as a writer. Uh, writing wise, I got to tell you, I've said it just recently. A family member asked me. My brass band, I said, back in the day, when 20, 30 years ago, I thought I knew about everything. You know, I thought I had a handle on everything, and uh, but my writing craft was not that great. Now that my writing craft is great, I'm not sure what I know, <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> and especially this cancer run of five years ago has kind of re- reordered the books in my library, kind of thing. It's reordered the way I look at things. So I do know that I don't want to waste my time. I do know that I want to finish something. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is. I remember as a kid, I mentioned this myself. I'm the oldest of five, and I have, like I said, eighty somewhat, eighty seven or ninety seven first cousins, and. I remember sitting with my sister on the top of the stairs at home when we were little guys and, you know, where where your feet are actually on the steps when we're little because I remember we were leaning forward on our knees and saying, I don't know why I'm here, but I know it's important. And talking about life, and she said, me too. And I remember that. I mentioned it to her last Christmas, and she goes, yeah, I remember that conversation. I said, do you still feel the same way? She said, yeah. And I said, me too. I don't know why we're here, but it's got to be important.
0: That's and, sort of fun. And, I'm,
2: and I'm trying to find, out. I think we, if most people I think go through that, I don't know if they, they articulate it that way, but it, it's like those, what's it all about Alfie moments. You know? Well, yeah,
1: I think, I think some people articulate it in, um, some people articulate it through action, you know, they just do crazy shit cause they're just trying to figure out like, maybe this is it, you know, like they're experimenting and trying to figure out if this is the thing that's going to mm. make it, make it clear. In some way, and I don 't know you know Adam West was on yesterday he 's eighty four years old, and he said the same thing you know he said a similar thing, which is that uh, he was like, "I realize the older I get, the less I know, like he just doesn 't know, so his whole thing was, i don 't know if that's true I know that
2: um, i i don't know less. I don't know if it's worth me trying to sham it down your throat mm-hmm. that is gonna pay any attention. It's gonna how do I do the best service of what I know? Right. You know what I mean? It's what I'm saying. It's 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 uh how do you deliver it so somebody else can digest it? Right. How do you take a life Because most 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 things that are worthwhile are experiential. Mm-hmm. That's why I think as we get older we've had more experiences and if we're if we're safe enough with the material we get we get a chance to assimilate it into a conversation, a piece of work, a piece of art, um, and hopefully present it to somebody so they can digest it. And it will either enhance or help order their life. And, boy, that's a heady, heady thing I just said. No, but you but, just made me think of something. But you know what I'm saying? And, and I don't know if I know less. I feel less emotional need to be acknowledged for what I know. Right. If you know, I don't need somebody to go, hey, you're a smart son of a bitch. You really fucking got your stuff together, man. I want to suck your dick. You know, I mean, you well, know. Sir, I've just met you on this bus. That's very odd. Yes. Nice <laughs> you know, to meet you. it's like, God damn it, I'm going to make you feel good for
1: the thing you just did for me. But uh, no, it's. That's what we all but want. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. uh, it's not like that. It's, I it's, would love to exchange blowjobs for knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a Canadian tradition. <laughs> But I think it's interesting that you know we have this biological directive. I think our brains, in general, have this biological directive to you know to spread our DNA. To you know, that's, to, a, that's a very inappropriate image. It is after we just, I yeah, no, I'm sorry, uh, yeah. we'll swallow that uh, one. So but, not on a bus, and don't say swallow. <laughs> uh, but uh, I understand, yes. But you know, we have this biological directive to to pass on our genetic material. But then also, it sounds like there's this parallel emotional directive to pass on. You know, the god I I feel like did I tell the Jean-Claude Van Damme story on the podcast before? I must have. I was on a plane about 10 15 years ago and uh it was one of the first times I got to fly up in first class, so it was a big deal for me because I was it was work and it was like, oh, they're fly I'm fancy now. And I was sitting on a plane and two seats over was Jean-Claude Van Damme and we're flying over a storm and it was the first time I'd ever flown over a lightning storm and it was unbelievable, just like it looked like how I would imagine like an animation of a brain looks. This this like throbbing mass, all this lightning whipping through it. And so I said sort of out loud, rhetorically, Ah, you know, it'd be really great if there was some way to put this experience in someone's else this experience in someone else's head, and Jean Claude Van Dead said something like Ah, but no, this experience is just for you and it should be you for you alone. It was like, something very profound about how, you know, some things are just for you, basically. And I always thought that was a really interesting you know, like Maybe some things aren't for everyone. Maybe we don't have to, you know, smear our experiences but I, but all over the what you're, But of the what
2: world. you're doing right now is, is, is acknowledging the, the validity of having one of those experiences. I guess that so. somebody else has had that or had one of those "ah me too" moments. Mm-hmm. It's because how many times do you go through something? And, and we're so super self-conscious in this universe now that you know because everything is everything is examined. There's <laughs> cameras everywhere. There's podcasts everywhere there's screens everywhere where everyone's looking up everyone's asshole and trying to tell everyone that you know we're the same and we're not the same yeah all we need to know is you're alive and the, and, and sort of like validate that you can have a feeling validate that it, that is significant validate that you know you know what i'm saying it's, i do it's not necessary that oh i wow well, i can have that moment and like total recall put it in a machine so you can have it too <laughs> right no. right right no no I think it's
1: we're all alive let 's celebrate being alive, yeah, and also exp- and also including your fears. Just appreciate the thing just for itself and not have to make it any any more than that necessarily. Stop and smoke. I remember bottles. when I was first sober we were i was
2: it was at the beginning of v the t v series, and we had to fly down to Oklahoma for some Oklahoma Dallas area for this big balloon shoot. It was in December. Before we really started shooting, anything, And they wanted it in the movie, because th- in the series, because we spread the alien stuff that kills the, the aliens from balloons. And yeah. So they wanted to shoot me in conjunction with this huge balloon fest that only happens in the fall. And flew down for that, and then I had to go to New York. And I was flying, and I was newly sober at that time. I was about a year sober. And uh, flying from Dallas to New York, the plane um, had some problems. And they said, we're going to have to stop early somewhere we're gonna I forget where it was I think it was Washington and uh and all the way through I was obsessing on these two suits that were sitting across the aisle from me getting hammered every time the liquor bar thing would go by they'd steal another bottle and pop it down and they had them stuck in their shirts and acting quite like I used to Mm -hmm. and uh and I was sitting obsessing on them and as we came in for landing you know these two drunks and Everyone said, secure, if we do hit it, and if it goes sideways, put your head down to all this. And they are all like totally hammered out of their mind. As we came in for the landing, the plane did hit. What had happened is evidently the landing gear was screwed up. Oh. And it went sideways down the runway. And just as it did, I remember looking over at the two drunks who were too busy picking their asses and going, rah, rah. I, I got this thought, I went, Ah, we're going to die, and they're going to miss it. <laughs> oh, shit. <Yeah>. And... <laughs> and it was like a minor epiphany for me it was like holy shit yeah that's about avoiding being alive yeah you know and it, i mean i got it in that a very clear message that day and it was sort of like these poor assholes and they were like what happened and everyone was like just adrenalized afterwards. He <laughs> had this natural eye coming off, and it was. We got to look at the window. They had guys all in front of the window. that Said, "Let me see," and they stepped aside, and the whole landing gear was all mangled and stuff. But it was that one of those moments. You know what I mean? It was sort of like I know that moment. I have I have eleven
1: years. Oh, good for you. And I, and I know that moment because it's the it's the very thing that. Uh, it's why I don't stay at parties too late because at a certain point I'm like these conversations are fake. It's hard to report. They're kind of, yeah. These are these happen. are not real conversations. These are yeah. You're not and
2: remember, but that was um, life has. There's all this life affirming shit going on all the time. If you're willing to sort of slow down and stop searching for it, trust that it's there.
1: I'm. It's uh, we could go on for hours. Please keep going. Nah. It's that's... why I don't. It's why I. It's it's why you know whenever shitty personal things happen, like, you know, like when my dad died or whatever, it it never occurred to me like, Oh, it'd be great if I could start drinking again, because I felt like he deserved me to experience that as clear headed as myself in a real way. It was interesting.
2: My dad's best, like I said, my dad, I have, my mom had 18 brothers and sisters. I have 97 first cousins on my mom's side. (laughs) My dad had one brother who got killed during the second world war. And, uh, and my dad, God love him, he was such a, a, a wise person, we'd go to a funeral, and he'd say, no, they got all the answers, and we're left with a dilemma. <laughs> and I never really got it until uh, his best friend died, and my Uncle Jim, which was his best friend, my mum's older brother. They were raised in the East End of Toronto, met his children, stayed together. Uh, I was propagated, and then they got married afterwards when her father allowed the permission of my dad to marry her. But at my Uncle Jim's, my mom's older brother, uh, we're in this huge congregation at this funeral in Peterborough, Ontario, and these birds flew up in the middle of it, and I was standing at the back, and I watched the birds go up, and as I was watching them, I looked, and the only two people out of about 160 were there. It was me dad, and I looked at the birds, and he smiled at me, and he was like, hey, you know, and this is his best friend, you know. And I got it. It's like Afterwards, I said, he's got all the answers, doesn't he? And he said, yeah. Yeah, he's got all the answers. So that was comforting. And that made me feel safe.
1: I don't know how to... You know what I mean? And Safe and not afraid to die. Safe and that, that, that someday you'll get answers. That
2: it doesn't end here, I think.
1: Yeah. There's something going on. My father is still present, very present
2: in my life. I actually had... I, I was mentioned to somebody else today. My... My daughter went through something the other night, and then again in the morning. And as I went out and got in the car, I was actually having a conversation with my dad before I realized that. I said, I don't know if I should tell her. I really, didn't want, how old was I when you told me? And I'm talking out loud, and I realized I'm talking to my dad. You know, it was like. Does he answer? I think so, yeah. It's kind of like um, not so much an answer, it's, it's kind of an embrace. Mm hmm. It's the question. It's not whether I have the right answers. The fact that I'm even questioning this stuff, that I'm not being I, in parenting. I believe you should let the kids, let your kids see you as awkwardly as possible, <laughs> <laughs> because the, the illusion that we all got our shit together is going to get going to screw up a kid. Right. So let them let them see you with all your bumps and warts and your indecisions. Just be honest about it. And say I don't know. Let's go find somebody who does. Yeah.
1: You know. And that was the way I was raised. So. I find that um, sometimes in those moments I just imitate my father and in imitating him I actually come up with an answer like oh yeah this is what he would say but I have to do it out loud ah don't worry like I have to get into that into the character of him to actually then extract the advice that I need in that moment one of the most
2: powerful things my dad taught me was to say I don't know
1: yeah
2: I don't know (laughs) and I really didn't try that until after I stopped putting down all the shit that helped me fake that I knew you know all the,
1: all the walls. And... Do you think, is it, uh, because intuitively it feels like saying I don't know is, is... But I don't know allows you to say, let's go find out. Right. That it, but, but you probably, at first, when you first think of it, you go, oh no, I don't want to expose a weakness because I don't know something, and knowledge is power, and I don't, but then well, just, but in most cases, human beings, I, I
2: think for me, for the first kind of three decades of my life, I spent way too much time in your head, looking at me through your eyes, and then trying to posture appropriately, right. to get your approval. That's a lot of energy. Oh, fuck, it's exhausting, <laughs> and usually I want to screw the one person in the room, that I can't do that with. Right. You know, so it's, uh, so, it's so much more, it's easier to say, I don't know.
1: Yeah. And if you want, don't know either, let's go find out, and if you don't want to find out, I guess it's not that important. By the way, you still projecting into that person's head, looking at you. You still actually don't know because a lot of the time you're not right. Oh, absolutely. It's 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 the, it's the worst. Fine, stimulus augmented ego. I think it's called. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, it's just our way of just trying to control the, and maybe that's part of the, um, maybe that's part of the drinking gene. Is just like just control, just trying to control. If it's drinking, it's like everything. It's alcohol, drugs, food. Violence,
2: jumping off cliffs with not enough material to get you to land softly. Um,
1: looking for something on the outside to fix my insides. Did you? Have fun, you did the you did a Reddit AMA pretty pretty recently, right? Hmm? The Reddit thing where you're answering all the questions people were asking. Yeah, anything. yeah I'm pretty. I I find that it's great to be honest because I got a lousy memory,
2: yeah. so I just answer things as honestly as possible. And that was kind of fun.
1: Yeah, I think it's fun for people to. I mean, it, it's. In as much as the dark side of you know, our attention is being sucked all the time from computers, and the one the kind of interesting thing that I think has happened is that I do think it has spurred more conversations than necessarily would have happened. 20 years ago. I think we have to make an effort to sort of look around. I've, I've, a couple of months ago, last well,
2: actually not a couple of months ago, it was, but this time last year, I live up in the Hollywood Hills, and I, I stepped up my front door, and there was this huge Arctic owl sitting on the pole across the street from me. It must have been about two and a half, three feet tall. And I was, I was looking at it, and I went, oh, my God. And these two women were coming up the hill, you know, walking up the hill with their Walkmans in their ears, and they were... Playing on their phones, and I wanted to go. Hey, hey you got to look up. And I went, "Fuck you, go." You know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> yeah, because there's already, so much light. They game. made their choice. What was the billboard? There was showed a frog. There was a digital yeah. frog and a real frog. Yeah, and it said, "Put the put the device down." Yes, I like that. I, I there's a time and a place for everything, but uh, I don't trust the communication of everything being built down to a tweet. It has its place, but don't, don't tell me that that is pure communication and that's all we need. Right. I'm trying to get my daughter to put her phone down so she, and read a book. Yeah. There's something organically happens when you take a book and you allow yourself to, to be told a story. Mm-hmm. The best of us. We're still sitting around campfires. We need the campfires. We need those moments of solitude. We need those moments together
1: to sit around and tell stories to each other. Do you go on retreats ever? Like, no.
2: No? I can get quiet just about anywhere.
1: I, I kind of feel like I need the environment to dictate that.
2: It, it's. I've been on a retreat. I haven't been on a retreat in
1: 20 years or something like that. I spend enough time, I can spend time alone. I
2: can. Yeah.
1: What do you do, uh, like, just in the course of a day? Like, what does a regular day off look like for you? I'll go golfing. Oh, nice. For four hours, four and a half hours, I turn my phone off, and nobody
2: can get at me. Yeah. And I have a discipline. Golf is wonderful because people will say things to themselves that they would probably s- kill somebody for saying, send- you you know, somebody will do a bad shot and call themselves things like, you stupid, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and they would smack somebody if they ever <laughs> talked to themselves. So- talk. And they, so it it's one of those disciplines for me that teaches me uh, how I really feel about myself.
1: Oh, that's interesting because uh, that's really interesting. I, I, I work. I worked at golf courses when I was in college, and I, I saw the worst side of people throwing clubs and <laughs> throwing clubs and, and screaming. These are so, like totally socially unacceptable behavior. But, um,
2: <laughs> I like that. Um, I like reading. I, I'm Canadian. I watch hockey. Yeah. And uh and uh lately I've been doing an awful lot of reading. An awful lot of reading. And kind of re re-re- rereading some of the stuff that I read before. You know. what do you reread that you like? Uh, oh, Brothers Karamazov, uh Anna Karenia, probably one of my Anna grenia uh one of my favorite books of all time. And mm-hmm. the new translations from Russian. They're they're different because they're they're less politically Correct, because mm-hmm. <laughs> they were they were messed up in the '70s and the '60s, and the new translations are much. Dostoevsky and Tolstoy, read some of that shit, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and um, some some Dickens and stuff. I understand now. My grandfather Findlay, he was I when he 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 was a First World War vet, um, was captured outside Paris. He was one of the old British, they called him the old contemptibles, and he spent five years in a German war camp. And near the end, he was in a veterans' hospital, and I used to go up and see him every, twice a week, and take. And he'd get me to bring books, and I started to recognize some of the books. I said, you've read these before. And he went, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh, I said, why are you re-? He says, I want to make sure I've got what I got when I go. It's too late for new information. And I catch myself, I'm at that stage now, where I'm going back and I'm, Was that seminal important book to me still important? Mm -hmm. Can I get something else out of it? Uh, Fenimore Cooper's Drums Along the Mohawk sort of thing. You know, taking looks at different books that changed my path as I went, the road not taken. I'm going back and want to know why. And does that still affect me and and have a ring or or, have a truism with me today?
1: So well, of course you 'd have to get different stuff you know at this point, then, and at the same time i 'm writing i 'm reading other stuff and writing and you know but uh, so you are writing stuff
2: i 'm writing right now, yes yeah, I am yeah. are you going to show anyone ever are you going to do stuff with it uh, there 's there's two i 'd like to do actually i was uh, I was up late last night because there's uh, i 'm kind of tired of there was because of the f um, the, the there 's a lot of people in town and um, I had people up at the house last night, an old producer friend of mine, that we're trying to stage something for about two years from now. now he's busy until next year, and I, I'm off and on busy until next year. So so I didn't get much sleep last night, because oh, yeah. you know, one of my old stories we were looking at, and um, it's a ghost story. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get around to it in the next two years.
1: Hey, let me, let me pitch something to you. Not a story idea, but just an idea for your life, and you can tell me to fuck off. <clears throat> um, you probably have a best friend, right? Got a best friend? Everyone's got a best friend? I've got a few, yeah. Okay. If you, if you think about it, every once in a while, invite them over. Just talk and record the conversation. And when you get a handful of them, just give them to your kids. Because hearing you talk as a human being, you know, you may not always talk, communicate this way with your mm-hmm. kids. It's something I did with my, I was lucky enough to do with my dad and just like have a conversation. And I'm so glad I did because it basically, it will forever cement the idea that I will never stop speaking his name. So I think it could be a very interesting thing because you have a lot of really great points of view on things. And I hope, you know, maybe, maybe your 15 year old daughter, although it sounds like she's pretty cool and smart, may not be in a place to fully understand and absorb the person that you are. And so I, I, I think maybe just, if you, if you think about it, record some conversations with friends just talking about, about stuff. It's not, bad, it's not bad advice. You know, it's
2: interesting, though, is my father came home every night from work at 5.30, and it was absolutely necessary that we sit down to dinner in that little house of ours. You know, all the five kids and whoever was there, there was always more than so, and we were allowed to talk about anything at the kitchen table as long as it was civil. Uh-huh. And uh, the kitchen table became something that was, you were allowed to do anything and say anything as long as you did it respectfully. I've tried to keep that in our house. Yeah. We sit down to dinner. And at dinner, you're allowed to talk about anything. Nobody trumps anyone. At the kitchen table as long as you do it politely i've and i don't have any authority in myself i can try a bad you know a tough face and my daughter go what is that supposed to stop me from talking right you know i have to line up for the bathroom in my house you know i don't get (laughs) first and so that kind of freedom has happened a lot in our house and because those avenues of communication and stuff like that so but God, taping a conversation, that would be so hard to get over the presumptuousness of it,
1: you know? Not really, because you just forget it's well, there. Well, you do it. Look, you do it for a living. You sit in front of a microphone. Yeah, you it's go, just like I talking don't. to people. But I but I think if you, you know, and even if it's clunky the first couple of times, you know, just just do it until it's not. Because you'll forget it's there. You'll just start talking and conversing. And then, or even if you start talking about the fact that you're recording, that reveals something about it. I don't know. I just, I just think... I just think that uh, do you, I, I, do you I, write? Do you write? I write a little bit. I mean, I write on my shows, uh-huh. but it's not like I'm not. And I wrote a book once, but I it's I don't I don't write anything. What know, was like, it about? What was the book about? Yeah, it was it was a nonfiction book about um, basically focusing and getting shit done. It was a it was like almost like a self help book, but sort of jokey and well, you're fairly accomplished. How old are you? You're in your like 30s. 42. 42. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, just because I fucked up a lot in my 20s. I still don't know everything, but I, I know a lot more than I did when I was... Yeah. Now, now I would say that uh, at least I'm not making the same mistakes when I was in my 20s. I'm making new and innovative mistakes. Yeah. Um, so and you remember them. I, yeah. At least I remember them now. Yeah. 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 But at least you can learn from them, too, when you're clear-headed. If, if you're willing. W- yeah. If you want. Yeah. You should... Um, but, uh, well, it's this movie that you're, I mean, I still want, you talked about a little bit earlier, but go ahead and plug it and I'm not here, but I usually, as you probably know, I don't do this.
2: I don't come out. (laughs) I know. I I do my work. I take my shoes off. I go home and costume. And I really like this film. I like the guys that made it. Um, the vicious brothers. Uh, I like the lead actress in it. I think she's absolutely brilliant. She's one of the best people I've worked with in a long time. She's really, really good, and uh, and I think it's worth seeing. I really do. It's well written story. The two guys took a, a genre and pushed it to its absolute limits, you know, and uh, right to the point of almost being tongue in cheek in places. And uh, and today, where things are constantly being rushed, and you don't always get your money's worth when you go to the theater, mm-hmm. I think you get your money's worth with this, and that's why I'm out here. I'm, I think people should see this film. Screw my performance. Screw anything. Take a look at the whole thing as a com- as a complete thing. Have you guys seen Interstellar yet? I haven't seen it yet because I've been working. I saw the seventy mil print the other night, and uh, it's wonderful. It's oh, fun. you liked it good. I like. I'll tell you what was interesting is. Uh, Talking about because things happen when you see movies. When you make the effort to go out and sit down, and the formalization of taking somebody with you, paying the money, sitting down on the seat, there's a, there's a ritualistic thing about that. And then the lights go down, and the light come up, and the window opens, and you watch. And my, my daughter, the fifteen year old, kept leaning over and saying, "Hey, <laughs> hey," and asking me stuff. And I go, "Yeah, yeah," and because uh, we knew the science was correct in the film, they'd already. The guy that took over for, um, for Carl Sagan, I forget his name now. The, Neil. Neil deGrasse Tyson. He said in a bunch of things. He says the science is good in this film. I'm not going to tell you about the film, but the science is, is good. It's all possible. But we're doing this, and as the and near the end of the film, I, I this came up in another interview today, so it's not exclusive. <laughs> but uh, I realized that at the end of the, near the end of the film, we got up and everything. The credits are running that I was around her age when I saw 2001 with my dad. Oh, wow. And I got so emotional. I looked at her, and she was just full of life after the film, the 50-year-old. And I went down. I was using the washroom, and there was a huge... We saw it at the Cinerama Dome and I came out of the men's washroom, and I watched her because she was leaning against the wall with her water, and she was absolutely, totally in the moment. She was just so... You could see her charged as people were going by, and she's quite good-looking. She, she's... Fifteen looks about twenty-seven, and she's built like a brick shit out. She's great, <laughs> and, uh, and she's very smart and very talented, you know. And uh, plays a shit out of guitar. And uh, but I was looking at her, and I was frightened and excited at the, the same time looking at her because I thought some lucky son of a bitch, it, or maybe a couple, are going to get to know her. Yeah. And uh, and then she saw me, and and she just sort of went. You know, and it was like, and I got to have that corollary folded time moment that I had with my dad and she got it. And I didn't point it out to her that I was the same age as, you know, I let that happen. That's hers to find out, you know, if she she has kids. Yeah. But it was like,
1: wow. Well, yeah, that moment of, uh, you know, where you're still young enough that, and, and wow, that's really interesting. So. She's still young enough that she's having these new sort of universe-expanding experiences. Mm-hmm. But then it gets harder and harder the older you get. But you got that moment watching her have that moment and being taken back to when you had that moment. And, and it's like that inner, that inner space of
2: your life. It's going back again. Like I said, I'm looking at other novels I've read and things, you know, and trying to refarm. I don't know if I'm fracking my life, but uh, (laughs) trying to... (laughs) I'm glad you said that. But you know what I mean? I'm fracking around. Yeah. But, uh, But you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to... I'm like my granddad. Maybe it's a little too late to be trying to get new stuff in here. Maybe I should really take a look at what I've already got.
1: Well, it's good to take a look at what you've already got, but I don't think it's too late to cram new stuff in. No, I... I don't want to eat snails, <laughs> escargot. I'm you're still gonna to have to sell me on that one. No, I will never. I will never eat a snail. Let's uh, cut. <laughs> gotta go analog. Yeah, Kyle's all about notes. You see this? But uh, well, this is uh, we're at about an hour. That was about an hour. Oh, well, it's like those, are, those are pretty painless. It was amazing. You were a fucking great guest. This oh, was fantastic. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, it's not that, I'm not surprised, but I'm just happy because I didn't know, I mean, obviously I knew you from your work, because uh, I've seen, like I said, I've seen m- m- almost all of the things that you've done, and I am a fan of it, and certainly could have nerded out on yeah, you about you, that, but. An hour of hitting old ladies with shovels would have been a <laughs> <laughs> That's a chrome shovel, and it's Elizabeth Taylor. But, uh, but, um but after your Reddit AMA, I was like, "Oh my god, I really want to talk to the. I really, really, oh, cool. really actually wanted to get to know you, and you did. You did not disappoint. Oh, well, thank you. This is fucking amazing. So thank you so much, man. And uh, I hope I get a chance to catch up with you again at some point and maybe hang out and have a coffee. See
2: extraterrestrial. It's it's anyone that's out there, and you guys go see it. It's it's worth the admission. It's it's kind of a communal kind of experience too. It's kind of fun. It's a fun." Uh, touching film is the same as uh, the, what is it, Interstellar. These yeah. are moments. They're, they're films you can sit there and go, remember when we saw Exit Remember when we saw Interstellar. I remember the theater. I remember the sea. I mean, You know what I mean? It's not some, I remember a couple of years ago, I'm a I member of the Academy, so I have all the films, right? And my daughter come over and all the kids said, can we see Jumanji or can we see this and we see that? I say, yeah, but for every film, that you want to see, I'm going to have a film that you have to see. Uh, so if you're going to watch Jumanji, you got to watch Village of the Damned, the first one. If you're going to watch this one, then you got to watch The Haunting of Hill House. Nice. You know, this thing. go And giving them singular moments from my childhood, that I think, where the story, the visuals, and the acting all work. And it's always wonderful to watch them when they're watching. Not that Jumanji's a bad picture, but they run and they get chips and they don't miss anything. They go pee. Right. The Haunting Hill House is on, and nobody leaves the room. Right? right. It's black and white, it's Julie Harris, it's Russ Damblin, and there's no special effects. There's one door that bends, and they all sit there and go, <gasps> and that's what I love about storytelling. That's what I love about visual storytelling. There's the ability to give everyone a common experience. And I was there when, do you remember? Yeah. That's one of the beautiful things about film.
1: Anyway. Well, listen, here's to uh, here's to not only treasuring the process as things happen and appreciating the moments that you already have, but also to many more new experiences, which I know you will have. You just walked out in your house and saw a fucking three foot owl. I mean, like you're there, your life is full of new experiences. You know, It's kind of interesting. I don't know what studio we're in. And I'm still I'm trying to Hollywood to hear, Center. I, I know. But you say Hollywood Center. I think it's another name, isn't it? It's Hollywood Center now, but years ago, th- this, this place has been around since like 1919. Yeah, so they no, shot a bunch right. of. So know. when you leave, I
2: got to pay attention. I was doing a radio interview on the phone when we drove in, so I didn't get to see the gate because I kind of recognized
1: some of this. Stuff. I'm, you, there's no way you haven't shot stuff here before. You, yeah, I know I've you shot must here. Have, And if you walk around, you'll see like, uh, you know, uh, they shot I Love Lucy on the stage we shoot our show on. There's uh, Burns and Allen, Laurel oh, and Hardy. you do Hardy. a live
2: show? Do you do a live on camera show?
1: Yeah, I do a couple. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. So it's so we shoot. Uh, yeah, we shoot. We've been shooting on this lot for about a year, and it's there's a lot of it's. It's one of those lots where you kind of you wish that one day, if, as long as you could fix it, the next day you could just start ripping the walls open to see like what's stashed in here or like under the ground. There must be amazing stuff hidden in this place yeah, somewhere. there's A lot of Jello in this place. Yeah, <laughs> you just walk through and you go, "Who's that?" <laughs> <laughs> That's plastic Residue. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Michael Ironside. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Enjoy your burrito, everyone.
0: Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels. A symphony of just three simple ingredients. Popcorn